Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would and credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Increase the Reality with Shane Jones. What is up in quarters and welcome to the thought-provoking podcast I call Inquiries of Our Reality. Today, in the what you guys have come to expect of the show, we get super deep in some mind-bending concepts on how this reality might just actually function, sprinkled in, of course, with some fascinating cryptid-related conversation. I think you guys are going to really love this one. But uh, before we get into it, of course, we got to knock out the front of house stuff as fast as possible. If you guys don't mind taking an extra five seconds to rate the show on Spotify, I would definitely appreciate it. Or if you guys are so kind as to take an extra 30 seconds to leave a review for the show on iTunes, I will definitely give you guys a shout out on the show and read it aloud on the show. Ratings and reviews, of course, are how the show is going to grow and be able to be seen by more people. So if you guys don't mind taking that extra time to do it, uh, I can't thank you guys enough. And if you guys aren't already following the show on social media, if you guys want to get updates on anything cool going on with the show, new episodes, anything like that, I highly recommend going and checking out the Instagram. Uh, That's the one that I'm the most active on. Uh, There is a Facebook setup for the show, of course, but everything for the Facebook kind of just gets pushed off the Instagram because I'm primarily just active on the Instagram. Uh, There's two other things you guys can go and check out if you guys want to have some awesome conversations with some like-minded individuals. Uh, There's the Open Minds Media Telegram. Uh, Recently... I combined the Bizarre Encounters Telegram and the Inquiries of All Reality Telegram, put them all together, try to make it a little bit easier for myself and make it so we're just posting all in one spot. Uh, and then the other one that we're building up, which is kind of the main focal point, of course, is the Discord. Uh, we restructured it recently. Uh, there's some new people that have been popping in there, uh, some new conversations that are starting to pop off. So anybody wants to pop in there and communicate with all of us, I definitely appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to getting to talk to you over there. And if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show, whether you're a researcher, uh, author, experiencer, 
um, scientist, I can even throw that one in there, uh, quantum physicist, uh, ufologist, whatever. If you're an open-minded individual, I want to sit down and I want to have a conversation with you. So don't hesitate to message me on social media, Instagram being the best one, of course. Uh, you guys can also email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com, or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email. Uh, make sure that you check your spam or junk folder. Make sure no replies get lost because I do respond to every single message that you guys send me. And uh, if you guys love the content I put out, don't forget to go and check out Bizarre Encounters with my two awesome co-hosts, Orin and Jenny. Uh, just like the name says, it's very fitting to what it, what we talk about, which is uh, Bizarre Encounters, be it UFO, paranormal, uh, cryptid related, whatever. Any type of weird phenomenon, weird encounters, we're talking about it over there. So highly recommend going and checking out that show if it's something that sounds like it would interest you, of course. And uh, if you guys want to keep tabs on all the stuff I do, uh, I, I keep everything under the umbrella of Open Minds Media. Uh, so if you guys want to go and follow the Instagram page for that, you'll get updates on any new episodes of any of the shows I'm putting out. So if you guys don't want to individually follow the pages, of course, uh, at least go and follow the Open Minds Media page to get updates on new episodes for both the shows. And uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's multiple ways to do so. Number one, of course, is to go and join the awesome ranks of the Patreon members, such as Brian, Brandy, uh, Justin. Uh, the list The list goes on and on. I don't have the list in front of me, but uh, there's a pretty good list. Also, Shane, he's another one that uh, recently joined. Uh, Riley, of course. Um, handful of you guys. You guys are great. Uh, I definitely appreciate you guys. And uh, over there on the Patreon, you'll get things such as ad-free episodes. You'll get early access to episodes. Uh, you'll get lives of episodes, live replays of episodes, which is the uh, video format of all of the episodes. And soon you'll be getting exclusive episodes just to the Patreon of Inquiries, Thoughts, and Theories, which is uh, kind of like the spinoff show of Inquiries of Our Reality, of course. Um, but yeah, there's four tiers over there. Go figure out which one suits you the best and uh, go and join the ranks. And uh, you guys can also support the show by donating uh, through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal. Um, you guys can even donate through Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. Um, anything that gets donated in that form uh, is going to be going towards making it so that I can get out to some conventions this year, get out and actually be able to meet all you guys. So uh, definitely beneficial in that aspect. If you guys are interested in meeting me in person, having a conversation with me, uh, if anybody donates, of course, and it doesn't give you the option to leave some type of personalized message, please uh, shoot me a message and at least let me know your name. Cause I want to give you guys a shout out in the show for uh, donating to the show, of course. And then the third way, of course, you can support the show is by going and checking out the Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, there you'll find designs for all the different shows that I do, uh, just like the Discord and the Telegram. I try to make it easy, put it all in one spot uh, so you guys aren't searching around. I guess uh, same with the Patreon, too. Um, yeah, I just put everything under Open Minds Media, make it a little bit easier for me, make it a little bit easier for you, make it so there's one link instead of a, a bunch of stuff scattered everywhere. And if you guys pick up any merchandise from over there, I uh, definitely would appreciate it if you guys wouldn't mind sending me a picture of you wearing it because I would love to repost it, of course, and show that there's love and support for the show out there. And uh, while we're talking about love and support, if you guys don't mind going and checking out Crypto Theology, Joe over there is always killing it with his awesome designs. And uh, anybody that's interested in this show, I definitely think that you'll be interested in his designs. So if you haven't already, do yourself a favor, go and check them out because uh, I guarantee you'll find something you like over there. And everything that I mentioned, of course, all available under the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, the Anomaly Hunter X, Ben Tejada Ingram. How's it going today, man? Doing awesome. It's uh, awesome to be here. Thank you so much for having me here today. Uh, yeah, I've been, like we were saying, I've been following you ever since you started up and 
we've been talking about doing this for a long time, but for some reason it was delayed a couple times. So I'm really glad to finally be here. Thank you so much for having me on today, man. Well, thanks for making the time to come on, man. I think originally we had talked about setting a date and then we never actually set a date. And then we went to go do something a couple weeks ago. And uh, I think one of us got like delayed at work or something like that. But either way, we're here now. We made it work. (laughs) Thank you for having me, man. So uh, I guess a good spot to start Uh, for anybody that's not familiar with like who you are exactly. uh, Why don't you kind of let them know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, My name is, my real name is Ben Todd Ingram, and I guess right now the reason why I'm on this show is I am an aspiring author as well as documentary filmmaker, and uh, my main areas of study are cryptozoology, uh, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, and the paranormal, of course. That is what I focus on. So uh, what kind of got it all all started for you before you even like wrote your book or started trying to put it together documentaries? Uh, like what, what started your fascination uh, as far as like the strange goes? Uh, yeah, I think it was a, a TV show way back in the 90s that was on the sci-fi channel called Sightings. Ooh. I don't know if you have ever heard of it, but it was a cool, the coolest show it was like all about all that kind of stuff. And I guess ever since I saw that show, I've been obsessed a little bit. When I actually was in the sixth grade, uh, they had like, you'd write a book report on your future career. And even back then, my future career was paranormal investigator. I wrote wrote a whole paper on it and I interviewed some people as well. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, ever since then, and I guess the other probably big thing that happened to me growing up was I had a Bigfoot encounter, believe it or not. Well, I say, I'd love to dive into that Bigfoot encounter. Um, first of all, starting off too, uh, we were talking a little bit before the show, you said you were from Oregon, which, you know, is a, is a top area as far as that kind of stuff goes. So I, I would love to hear your encounter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I grew up in a small town, Southern Oregon, Ashland, Oregon, my parents li- lived out in the woods and uh, I was in the sixth grade when this happened. Um, yeah. First of all, Southern Oregon is like perfect Bigfoot habitat. We're like only an hour away from the whole bluff Creek area where the uh, iconic um, film from the 1960s was shot. Um, the Patty film, the Patterson Gimlin film. So, uh, me and my buddies were out camping outside of the house on this like big trampoline. Me and my two friends, we were there spending the night, you know, and we were uh, out there trying to camp outside. And uh, it was kind of spooky, like it was getting pretty dark. And we were hearing some noises out in the woods around us. And for anyone who spends time out in the woods, that like that's totally normal. You always hear weird noises. It's never silent in the woods, but we kept on hearing some footsteps. And uh, it would stop, and then it would start, and then it would stop again, and then, then it would start again. And we were getting a little bit freaked out because we knew at this point we were actually hearing something out there. And so what happened was there's a 
about 20 feet from our little trampoline, there's a embankment and it goes down. And we hear from the bottom of an embankment, a very, very loud snapping crash type sound. It sounded like a tree being snapped. And then we hear crash, 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 loud running footsteps running up the, the embankment very, very fast. And when it gets to the very top, this is about 20 feet away from us. It lets out a screech. And the only way I can describe this screech was like very, very high-pitched, deafeningly loud. It sounded almost like a velociraptor sound in Jurassic Park. That's the only thing I could ever compare it to. And uh, at that point, we all just ran. We ran for the house. We locked the door. And we all are freaking out. And so none of us ever actually saw it because it was really dark and we were so terrified. But um, looking back on the experience, I definitely do think it was a Bigfoot because I don't think there's any other animal out in the woods that will make a sound even similar to that or make so much noise. It wasn't a bear. It wasn't a mountain lion. And Bigfoots are actually known to do, the, do this thing called a super knock, which is something that they do as an intimidation tactic. It's where they break a small tree. It's basically like a wood knock, but a lot louder. And they do it to scare you off. Uh, yeah, that's actually happened to quite a few people. And so I think whatever was going on, this Bigfoot was trying to scare us. Um, yeah, there's only that's the only thing that makes any sense about it. I don't know why, <laughs> but this thing had it out for us for some reason. So, did you by yeah, chance end up going and seeing if you uh, <clears throat> were able to find any kind of footprints or anything down there, or if you're able to find the tree that had been snapped? We found. We think we found the tree. It was like a small, I don't know, like a manzanita or something like that. And we could not find any footprints. Yeah, I don't know. The ground around there was very like coarse and hard. So yeah, it was a little bit frustrating that we didn't find any like crazy evidence. But uh, we looked, we couldn't find any footprints. It was weird. Have you, really uh, by chance, tried to like check out that area, um, like later on in life, by chance, or you know, looked it up on any uh, databases to see if there was any other sightings possibly in that area? Uh, yeah, yeah, all throughout Southern Oregon, like all kind of throughout the Cascade Mountain Range, there's just tons of reports. Uh, I've checked out this thing called the Bigfoot Mapping Project. They have like this cool app you download and it just maps out every public report on a big GPS and yeah, Southern Oregon is a, like, it's not really especially famous because people tend to go to go to Southern California or they come up. If they're in Oregon, they go up to Mount hood area, which is another big hotspot, but Southern Oregon, I would say is the perfect habitat. Like we have so many deers there. A lot of people think Bigfoot hunts deer, and where we live in Ashland, like you, you go every day, like you see a deer every day of your life. They're kind of like a nuisance. They go in people's gardens. They're everywhere. So, uh, yeah, I would say it's, uh, you know, we have bears, 
We have mountain lions, which I've seen before. We I've seen a mountain lion, uh, wild turkeys, like you name it. Like it's a great area for wildlife of all kinds. So, uh, yeah, it's a hot spot. Just out One of curiosity, that needs to be studied more. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, just out of curiosity, uh, you said there was a lot of deer in the area. Have you by chance ever found any of the uh, like weird deer? They end up killing them and then leaving them like half up a tree by chance. No, man, I I have not found anything like that, but uh, I'm sure it has happened nearby, and I just never saw it. See, but, uh, we seem to get a lot of reports of that as far as Michigan goes, where um, I'm, I'm on a couple of different pages, and I see a lot of people posting uh, deer up in, tree, up in trees with uh, the marrow sucked out of some of the bones, too. Just weird stuff. Well, wow, that's really weird. That's, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I haven't heard too much about that, but that that is bizarre. I mean, everybody it's relates really cool. it to being a Sasquatch thing, but you know, considering that you see it a lot in Michigan, and we have the whole Dogman legend, I'm almost kind of curious if it's, if it's uh, possibly more of like a Dogman thing. It could be. It could be. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. That's a that's a really interesting topic. I would love to study that a little bit more. It could be Dogman you guys have out there. Just out of curiosity, do you really have any, uh, like dogman or any kind of, you know, lore like that in your state? There are, we, no, no, we don't have dogman. Uh, the one probably weird cryptid we have out here in the Pacific North Northwest. Well, first of all, I live outside of Portland nowadays, but, uh, we have this thing up in Washington, Mount St. Helens called the Bat Squatch. Have you heard of that? Oh, yeah. I've done a few different reports on that, too. Part of uh, Mount Rainier, and then I uh, kind of connects a little bit into Ape Canyon Encounter, too, with all the high strangeness yes. about, around Mount Rainier. <laughs> I mean, that one almost reminds me of Mothman a little bit. Like, that's just a weird kind of like one-off. Not very many people ever saw the Bat Squatch, but it's very infamous around here. Yeah, there's like a beer named after it. And- and everything. See, I know the original yeah. sighting of it was supposed to be during the uh, Mount St. Helen eruption. And right. the um, person who originally caught it said that they only had found it in the photographs that they had taken. And then there was another encounter where it came near somebody's car and it knocked out all the like power in the car. And uh, mm-hmm. they were saying that it might have some type of ability to affect like mechanical devices. And I mean, you know, considering how everybody kind of theorizes as far as like the Mothman. Um, I mean, it's a good possibility. It was just a different variation of it because there seems to be a lot of other weird anomalies that happen when there's Mothman uh, present. <laughs> well, I find it uh, very interesting. Uh, all of these big volcanic mountains in Washington are all hubs of high strange, high strangeness. You know, you got Mount St. Helens, that's Ape Canyon. That's a uh, bat squatch. Then, of course, you have Mount Rainier, which is where Kenneth Arnold saw the first ever flying saucer. Uh, yeah, if, for those who don't know, he was a pilot in the 1940s. And he saw about five crafts, I think it was, and they're actually like crescent-shaped. And they just shot off by his, by his plane in formation, going extremely fast. And they came from M- Mount Rainier, and they were going in a direct line towards Mount Adams, which is uh, <laughs> which is really weird to say the least. Because nowadays Mount Adams 
is like the UFO hotspot for us out here. It's uh, they got the whole Iseti Ranch out there, which is the enlightened contact with extraterrestrial intelligence ranch. Uh, yeah, that's another place that uh, me and my buddy Nate are probably going to do a investigation at sometime in the future. But uh, yeah, all these mountains, specifically volcanoes out in Washington, something's going on with it. Like, because, uh, you know, they have a lot of like uh, cave systems also. So I wonder if these UFOs, these crafts, these aliens, these entities, entities or even the bigfoot are using the uh volcanic tubes around there to travel around and possibly live in so yeah that's a weird one say i've dug into that a couple times uh not too too long ago i had a, a guest on the show named tim tolka and he's been doing uh investigations as far as ufo ufos go in mexico and they're particularly around uh this one mountain um, begins with the P I'm brain farting the name right now, but they come right out of the shaft and then they come flying out and then they'll do weird different anomalies where they'll split in two. And I got into this whole theory with him too, about either one, they know certain times a day where maybe things are kind of like laid back a little bit and they're able to come in and out of these places or two, maybe they have some type of entry point that they go into that's actually in the volcano itself and considering that they have these ufos which you know we only are starting to really theorize how they work um but one of like the main things that it seems to be is that it almost like moves everything around it where things don't actually seem to like touch it and that's how it's able to travel through space and travel through water and do all this different stuff so i mean assumably you know if it's able to travel through space with extreme temperatures and if it's able to go underwater without being affected or have any type of like a resilience against it um i don't see any reason why it wouldn't theoretically be able to fly right into a volcano and not have any kind of issues with the heat or maybe even be able to fly through the magma potentially because who knows how advanced this technology could be and how i mean i have theories about how it vibrates that it ultrasonic frequency and that's almost like how it's able to keep things away from it but who knows like what the yeah. potential of that is as far as like creating like a force field around it where like the magma may be hot near it but it doesn't actually even like touch the ship as it's going through it no, no, yeah, absolutely. I, I do. I 100% think that's exactly what's going on. Yeah, the Mexico has like the Ring of Fire volcanoes, and those are all like I've seen those videos too. Uh, they capture UFOs coming in and out of those volcanoes all the time. So, uh, yeah, I don't see why not. Uh, I don't know if you think about it. If you listen to people like Bob Lazar, they say that the UFOs create a gravitational field around the craft itself. Nothing like that is in. That's why they're able to start, go instantaneous acceleration and then stop on a dime and not kill the occupants inside. It's because uh, whatever is inside the craft is not affected by anything, gravity or any physical forces outside of the craft. Yeah. It's really interesting, man. It gets super weird. And uh, I mean, even uh, kind of connecting back into uh, some of the other weird phenomenon as far as like that area goes too. you talk about like bat squatch and if there's like a potential for there being like UFOs in this area or being caverns and be it that you think that they're extraterrestrials or there's some type of possibly like, you know, secret government technology. Um, the whole bat squatch encounter with it moving fast through the sky, people only kind of getting like quick image pictures of it. It almost makes you wonder if it is linked 
to the UFO or advanced technology stuff, like, you know, if it was moving fast, maybe people didn't really get a good solid eye on it. And it might be some type of like flying suit or, you know, some type of, uh, you know, flying like jetpack type thing. But I mean, assumably, you know, if you're going to be using some type of flying device that is almost like a, like a, like a single person, like flight suit, almost, it would make sense that the suit itself would be bulky to be able to protect you in case you hit something when you're flying at high speeds or if something flies at you, or again, if it's using the same type of like a uh, technology that like a UFO is theoretically using too, um, you're going to need some type of like protective layer that's able to keep the outside away from you. So, I mean, you know, it could have been a misinterpreted alien to begin with wearing some type of flight suit or <laughs> some type of secret government flight suit <laughs> that was just really bulky. Oh yeah, that's a that's a possibility we can't rule out. Um for for example, the uh, I actually know someone whose brother works in like the Air Force and he works at one of these hidden military bases that is in some kind of a mountain out in Nevada. And uh it's like he says uh oh yeah we're right in that mountain and it's just a mountain over there. You can't see anything. So, yeah, uh, the government absolutely will use these big cavernous mountains and areas to hide their bases. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There, there is something going on for sure. Like whether it's a uh, hollow earth, whether it's aliens, whether it's secret military bases, I, I have no doubt in my mind there's something out there. I know that you don't have like dogmen or anything in your state, but that kind of connects into also what I've been saying about dogmen is that, you know, people always talk about how they hear this like metallic clinking kind of sound before they end up seeing a dogman or getting attacked by it. And, you know, hear a lot of people saying that it's portals, it's this, it's that. But at least for me, uh, I've been relating it to like, you know, secret underground bases and the metallic clinking noise that you're hearing is some kind of door opening and be it that they're, you know, these dogman or some kind yeah. of like natural creature or there's some type of government experiment i usually say probably through like gene splicing if anything um you know i i think that you know these underground caverns are all over the place and the potential Me of too. what they're being used by and who they're being used by is kind of all over the place because if these tunnels aren't interconnecting you know there could be ones being inhabited by ufos it could be ones that are being inhabited by uh you know the government and then you know there could even be secret caverns where maybe that's where all of these uh Sasquatch come from? Maybe they come above land to come and like collect supplies and you know get food and do all this and do all that. But maybe they actually live yeah, somewhere under the ground, and that's why we never actually find bodies of them is because they only come out to grab things that they're in need of. Dude, uh, yeah, I I hundred percent agree, and this is actually a perfect segue to something that I have been researching for uh, one of the chapters in my new book, which I I can uh, kind of tell you guys for the first time a little bit about, uh, so yeah, my new newest book is the working title is, uh, the lands forgotten by time an explorer's guide to lost worlds and legends. Uh, it's a play off the John Rice Burroughs novel, the land forgotten by time. And, uh, yeah, it's the theme of the book is every chapter is about a different lost world or, kind of like one of the most remote areas on earth that also is associated with some kind of incredible mystery or uh, cryptid activity. So um, every chapter I'm kind of like breaking down a different location. Uh, yeah, this book isn't out yet, you guys. It's uh, 
hopefully uh i'm in the talks with uh small town monsters because uh shout out to alexander Petikov. he was on your show i know that um he was awesome and he wrote the forward to this book and then he was like oh you guys should uh submit it to small town monsters so uh yeah we're we're kind of in the talks we're so I can't reveal too much about it yet, but I will tell you that one of my uh, chapters is about all this stuff. It's about um, specifically the Mammoth Cave system in Kentucky, which is uh, the biggest, I believe, not the biggest, but the longest cave system in the world. The biggest one is actually Vietnam. But uh, yeah, so the Mammoth Cave, it is... Um, I could be getting this wrong, but I think they have discovered around 400 miles of passageways under there. And then this is according to the actual uh, national park website. They're they're the right from the government. They say, according to our estimates, there is an additional, there could be an additional 600 miles of undiscovered passageways there. That means that this cave system, which is the already the biggest in the world, isn't even a third of the way explored yet. Uh, they're, they're discovering new passages down there every single year. Like, uh, yeah, they just discovered, they announce it all the time. They're like, oh, we just discovered another 20 miles, uh, which is really weird. And uh, what makes it even weirder is this whole area in um, Kentucky is a kind of a high strangeness, Mecca, you could say, uh, like everything is going on there. There's Bigfoot sightings, there's UFO sightings. And uh, what really caught my attention was um, a TV show. You can actually watch it on YouTube. It's called Hellier. Have you heard of that one? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, so yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen Hellier, it uh, kind of starts off with these people who get an email these investigators about a case of what they call goblins that are kind of like terrorizing this guy's uh, farmhouse out there. And they show up to investigate and there are footprints. Like the guy sends him all this evidence. They think it they're coming from the mine at nighttime. And uh, yeah, there's footprints and they're harassing this guy. And uh, this is right by the mammoth cave system. And so uh, I don't want to give away what they find out on the TV show about these goblins, but they do end up connecting it to something else. They connect it to the 1955 Hopkinsville UFO encounter, which is uh, one of the most infamous cases in UFO history. It was Project Blue Book actually investigated this. Uh, Yeah, this was right outside the Mammoth Cave system as well, which is awesome. So, yeah, it was a, this farmhouse that was in the 1950s. There was, like, at least 10 people there, and they were kind of drinking. They were having a good time, and when it got really dark, their dog starts barking, and it goes after something in the woods. So they, a couple of the guys go out to follow and investigate, and they see these like about three foot tall creatures that have like these giant eyes, big long ears. 
and they are kind of like out there. There's a whole bunch of them. And so, uh, yeah, everyone is really scared and they go back in the house and they don't know what to do. And basically long story short, the entire night long, all these people, people are in there terrified and they keep looking outside and they see these creatures walking around on their lawn in some cases just floating and hovering. And at one point, like, uh, yeah, they, they get out their shotgun and they start shooting. They fire off a bunch of rounds and, uh, they, it doesn't have any effect. Apparently they didn't even said it had a metallic pinging sound and it bounced off one of their chests and it got back up. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So yeah, they're, they're out there. They're, they uh they're trying to shoot them it doesn't work uh, eventually i guess uh it, it becomes daytime and they call the police and the police come out there the police try to do an investigation and they they can't find any kind of like physical evidence which is really weird but uh they do find all the shotgun marks all the blast marks like one of the windows is destroyed and uh, yeah, this this causes a media frenzy. It's, there's national reporting. There's national press coverage. Uh, yeah, kind of like it's kind of sad actually. Kind of the people involved. After this happens, they are driven out of town. Essentially, like people think they're crazy. People don't want to talk to them. Uh, kind of like almost ruins their lives. You could say so. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of them never want to talk about it again. They all just leave. And to this day, it's uh, one of those famous unexplained mass sighting cases. Uh, like the skeptics will, of course, say they were drunk. They will say it was mass psycho- psychosis of some sort. But uh, to this day, it's unexplained. Don't you so, love how uh, they throw the yeah. label of mass psychosis on things, even though it's never actually been proven at any specific point to even have ever been a thing? It's just a label they slap on everything and say that's the answer to it, but it's never actually been proven in any scenario. <laughs> hmm. No, Project Blue Book, they're like, this is inconclusive. We we don't, like, no one really knows. Like, <laughs> like the U.S. government in, tried to figure it out, and they couldn't figure it out, so it's really weird. But, I mean, uh, there's anyway, even a uh, Cherokee legend too pertaining to goblin-like little creatures too. Um, the Cree and the uh, Ojibwa would talk about Manigishi, uh, I believe it's M-A-N-N-E-G-I-S-H-I, and it still kind of fits that yeah. scenario too. So it kind of connects into the possibility that these things aren't necessarily like extraterrestrials, but rather something that's coming out of the earth itself. Well, exactly. So that's the whole thing about it. Like the the family assumed it was extraterrestrial, but there's the possibility it came out of the cave system. And I, I was really fascinated by all this. So I started to like dig a little deeper and you're right on the money. That's when I found these, some of these Cherokee legends pertaining to uh, what they uh, called the moon eyed people. And that's kind of one of the things I dig into in my book is I, I kind of like, okay, this can't be something new. Like it must, must go back in history, must go back way, way farther. So uh, I kind of did like this deep dive into the Cherokee legends. And uh, so, yeah, it's really weird. They have this legend 
which actually isn't in their mythology. It's in their oral history. Like this, this is considered real history. Like by the earliest accounts from almost 200, 300 years ago, the historians, like they wrote books about the Cherokee myth, myths and legends, but the moon eyed people were actually real history to them. So they say, when the Cherokee people first came to these lands, which are, which are uh, you know, Kentucky, uh, right around the Mammoth Cave area, there were a race of people living there, but they weren't normal people. They were nocturnal. They had very large round eyes. They were very, very short. And they had like this weird pale skin and they lived in caves supposedly. And, uh, Eventually, there is some form of conflict and the, there is some kind of a war happened between the Cherokee and the Moon-Eyed people. And if you go out to Georgia, there's, there's this really weird, cool place called the Fort Rock State Park, which is this uh, big mountainous area. And on top of it, it's kind of like fortified by these really weird stone ruins. And it basically, I believe it's a wall that is over 800 feet long, a stone wall built into the side of this mountain, and it appears to be a giant fortification. And if you go there, all the plaques and all the information says, this was not built by the Cherokee, this was built by the Moon-Eyed people. That's what the Cherokee themselves are saying. And they're like, this is like one of their last fortifications their last holdouts there and uh it's really interesting the only ever archaeological study done there that it happened uh, like 50 years ago and their conclusions were we do not know who built this when it was built or why we have no idea like this does not kind of fit anything we've seen from the cherokee the native americans in that area it's kind of a weird mystery. So, so yeah, if you take a look at the map, what I learned and what is presented in these histories, they say after the battles, they drove the Moonite people to the West. And so uh, this structure, this uh, fortification is in Georgia and is only about 60 miles away from the Mammoth Caves. And the Mammoth Caves are directly to the west. So my kind of uh, my theory about it is the Moon-Eyed people probably had some forward bases. They probably were trying to colonize the surface world. Let's assume they were some kind of undiscovered humanoid creature, maybe even a human-type relative that lives underground. They're adapted to the dark. They have these like big eyes that are bright and like moon moon shaped and moon colored they're light skinned that which are all common adaptations for underground dwelling creatures so i think what happened was in the distant past they came up to the surface they tried to live on the surface then they got in a big fight with the cherokee the cherokee basically drove them out drove them to the west back to probably where they came from in the first place, which is a mammoth cave system. And uh, what's really interesting is the mammoth cave system themselves are kind of notorious for being haunted. 
especially in the lowest, deepest parts, people see weird things, people hear weird things, they see even like the official archaeologists and explorers down there are kind of like too scared to go down there by themselves because they've had so many weird experiences. So, uh, yeah, what I think is going on is uh, these moon-eyed people, they probably went into hiding for a very, very long time, and it's possible that they came to up to the surface world for kind of an expedition in 1955 in the Hopkinsville incident. They came up there. And then uh, the whole Hellier Goblins case, that's just another uh, instance of them breaking into this mine shaft and coming up to the surface. Uh, yeah, the descriptions of the goblins are almost identical to the Moon-Eyed people. So uh, the other thing you have to consider is the mammoth caves according to the lore out there is uh, one of the entrances to the hollow earth. Uh, supposedly there's, uh, of course, Antarctica. There's like Mount Shasta. There's somewhere in Tibet. And then there's uh, mammoth caves. Oh yeah, Egypt as well. So, you know, who's to say, man? Who is to say that aside from there being over 600 miles of undiscovered caverns, it could go way, way deeper, way farther. It could, I don't want to say hollow earth, but it could connect to like all these places all around the globe. Uh, so yeah, there's plenty of room for some kind of completely undiscovered creature to be living down there. Uh, probably even Bigfoot. Yeah. I'm, I, I wouldn't doubt for a second that um, Bigfoot lives in caves also is making use of these caves systems as well. Just to throw a yeah. uh, kind of weird in-depth theory into all of this too, uh, kind of pertaining to what you were saying. So obviously there's different layers to reality to begin with, as far as like there being like the great cataclysms and all of these different uh, experiences where you hear about society essentially being wiped out and having to restart. And it's, you know, super controversial talking about the fact of there being advanced civilizations in the past. And of course, everybody's question is like, where do these advanced civilizations go? And depending on the cataclysm, you know, they could have obviously went into different areas. So there could almost be like layers upon people in the aspect of like, there could have been like two cataclysms back. Um, it could have been something that was attacking the surface directly, like a meteor strike or something. And so everybody ended up going underground yeah. and they stayed underground for, you know, centuries because they didn't know if it was safe to come back out. Uh, you know, the ozone could have been destroyed. Um, you know, things could have even have changed if humans were around like predating like dinosaurs, theoretically, maybe it wasn't safe to be on the surface. So they ended up adapting to live underground and then from there there ended up being another layer of people when there was the great cataclysm with like uh with all the floods where there could have been another advanced civilization that came off of that and they could have learned from that predecessor one and half of these civilizations now are all underwater because of course you know most civilizations seem to build things in valleys so that could be the second generation of advanced culture and then the survivors of those advanced cultures could have gone to different places like mexico for example when you have like the the whole thing with uh, quetzalcoatl and all of the other different different stories about somebody coming and almost teaching them how to be civilized people. 
And when that seemed to have happened, because they had this fear of the great flood that had recently happened, it seemed like a lot of people at that time were building these pyramids or artificial mountains, probably for the intention of if there was any kind of a great flood, you know, they'd be living in this area that's more of a valley, but they'd have this giant uh, pyramid. And then if anything was to happen, um, it would make sense how they built them with all the different steps, because essentially the whole town would be able to come at this thing all at once and try to get to the top. So then at this point now, you have the civilization past that. So it kind of makes you wonder if all of these different things are just extensions of people, but because of the cataclysms that happened, they all got kind of pushed into going into different places. And, you know, in turn, you know, the Mammoth Caves, for example, could be an entrance into this civilization that they originally had built, um, assuming that everybody would have to live underground for a really long time. And, you know, maybe some of the people that are really digging into Mammoth Cave possibly know this, or maybe they're just now starting to scratch at the surface of where this civilization has been existing since the last two cataclysms back before the Great Flood, the one before that. And, you know, they're just pretending to be something paranormal, supernatural, whatever, to try to scare people away from this area, but full well knowing like where they are and where they came from and that they're not a creature necessarily, but just like a predecessor of man that had to live underground and adapted to live underground and now can't live on the surface. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I 100% uh, believe in that whole uh, scenario, the cataclysms and the survivors and it does make sense where would they go like underground is probably one of the only places and uh yeah when i was researching this whole thing i'm like what other people out there have like kind of like similar stories and uh the hopi tribe in arizona was one they have this whole uh mythology based around the what they call the ant people and supposedly the earth was destroyed twice, actually. And both times the ant people took them underground and they saved them. And the ant people, uh, yeah, they lived in these giant caverns, supposedly underneath the earth. They're like very advanced and they're like kind of human-like, but not quite humans. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's, uh, I find that super interesting that that's uh, actual mythology about uh, people surviving a cataclysm and going underground. Yeah, right in Arizona, believe it or not. Just to throw in another interesting tie to that too, um, they in the actual language, when they would refer to these ant people, they would call them Anunnaki, which was ant friend. Right. So that's another connection into this other wide world world with th- oh, of things. Dude, that's so crazy. <laughs> and them also helping. I mean, these these ant people, Anunnaki, whatever. You know, if these tunnel systems are connecting, like these these this race of people could essentially be underground everywhere and making appearances in different locations all over the world. <laughs> wow, dude. No, that's, that's super fascinating. Uh, Anunnaki, of course, that that's a loaded word, but <laughs> I mean, wow, I haven't really thought about that, but that's kind of mind blowing to me actually. That's one of those fun facts yeah. that sits rent free in my head forever is that, uh, you know, the Cherokee would call the, Ant people, Anunnaki, meaning ant friend. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that word like pops up around the globe. I, I don't remember where else I've heard it, but I think it like it does appear somewhere in like, I want to say the like, Celtic mythologies. Uh, I don't remember a hundred percent sure, but oh yeah. The Anunnaki, they were not just in uh, Samaria. They were probably all over the place, man. Yeah. 
It almost makes you wonder too if it's possible that they already predecessor they already had that name and the Cherokee then broke that name apart into two words and then incorporated it into their own language. Like it wasn't even necessarily a Cherokee word word. It could have been something that predated that. And they they came and just said, We are the Anunnaki and they were like, you know, they're ant friends. Let's just that's that's what it means, ant friend. And then incorporated right. Anu and Naki into their language off of having encounters with these beings. Yeah, no, I, 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 that's probably what happened. Like, it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Yeah, it's really interesting. And then, uh, just out of curiosity too, um, like with Mammoth Cave, for example, uh, they have that one spot. I forgot the name of it offhand, but they pretty much call it like like an endless black hole. Um, like I, I'm curious if anybody's ever actually been down there to figure out the bottom because I feel like if there was a an entry spot because I mean there's a lot of theories about that being like the entrance to Agartha and Hollow Earth um, you know maybe it's a little bit you know still extravagant but not as extravagant as that that more so it's just the actual solid entrance into this underground society because I mean when you start kind of thinking about how you know, if they're trying to protect themselves from different cataclysms, different things like that, assumably, uh, you know, if you were going to have some type of entrance to it, um, you're not going to want it to be super obvious because you don't know what other predators might end up coming. You don't know if there are other intelligent predators. So, you know, you, there may be an extremely simple way that they can get down this cavern. You know, there might even be like a slide at the bottom. I don't know. Just there might be some type of simple uh, method they have to it. But then yeah. from an outside predator. No. It just looks like a giant hole and you, yeah, you're not even going to take a chance to get in it. <laughs> I do not know the answer to the, that big black hole thing. I do not know. I assume someone has probably at least like dropped a rope down there or something. But uh, speaking of that, uh, yeah, according to this book that is kind of obscure and weird, but very cool. It came out in the 1800s and the title of the book is Et Dorpa. Have you heard of that book? Uh, I think I've heard the title, but I'm not familiar with what it's about uh, exactly. So, uh, okay. So this is the weirdest book and uh, talk about ideas that are living rent free in my head. I've been thinking of doing some kind of like deep dive into Et Dorpa because uh, so supposedly the story goes, the author is named John Yuri Lloyd. He's a pharmacologist in the 1800s, but uh, he States in the forward to the book, he says, I did not write this book. I was just presented a manuscript. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. By this stranger, essentially. And the stranger told me, please publish this because you are like already an author, which he was. And uh, please wait at least 20 years to publish this book because the scientific knowledge in this book is too advanced for the men of our time and no one will understand it. So I want you to wait until science has advanced and then you are allowed to publish the book. And so the book, um, what it's about is it's written by this guy who says that he is a member of a unnamed secret society, which we kind of assume could be the Freemasons, but we don't know. And he says um, he got really deep into the secret society. He wanted to learn their secrets of secrets, their most important things, which he did. And then he decides these secrets are too amazing. we cannot keep this secret. I'm going to publish them and release them to humanity for the benefit of humanity. And so he decides to do this. He gets ready to do it right before he can, he gets kidnapped essentially. And uh, he's kidnapped by members of his secret society. And they they found him out. They say, we know what you're doing. We're going to punish you. So they uh, blindfold him. They put him in like a horse-drawn carriage. They drive him out into uh, the wilds of Kentucky. So uh, They actually, it's really fucking fascinating. They pinpoint almost exactly where they take him. Supposedly it's in the uh, Cumberland region of Kentucky. And they give like all these cool like geographical landmarks along the way. And I 100% think someone could find this place. And eventually he ends up at this cave or entrance to a cave. And they just drop him off. They take off the blindfold. And out comes this strange creature from the cave, which is kind of like this short, pale-skinned creature, once again. Very weird and interesting. Also (laughs) kind of uh, fits the the context of Dover Demon also. (laughs) I don't know. It's it's a it's weird. So uh, yeah, they he gets out. This is supposedly uh, from this fictional, not fictional book, and he says the creature it can talk, and it says to him, "As your real punishment, I am going to show you like the secrets of the universe. I'm going to show you the holy of holies. I'm going to show you everything." And so he takes them into this little cave. There's an underground river. They go into the river. They go into like a deeper passage. And essentially what it is, it's like a giant passageway. They come into the this giant domed room. And he's told, I'm going to take you into the center of the earth. And this is a, this book is considered a hollow earth fiction nowadays. Like that's what it's labeled as. And uh, the book is all about their journey into the underworld, right from this area in Kentucky, right by the Mammoth Caves. 
But what is really, really fascinating is all throughout the book, the creature and this guy, they're talking about science and philosophy. And they go into these really, really lengthy discussions. And looking at it through a 21st century lens, you could 100% say they're talking about the theory of relativity. This book was published before Albert Einstein even like thought of the theory of relativity before he published anything. And there's a specific chapter I can link it like in the show notes that describes the theory of relativity to a T. This is way before anyone knew what that was, which is really weird and bizarre in in and of itself. And uh, later on in the book, they describe, they're talking about like astronomy, astronomy and they make all these weird references to dark matter. They basically are talking about like the invis- invisible force that surrounds everything that you can create matter out of. You can like, if you have the right technology, you can, uh, they actually say this is how the universe was formed. Uh, it's like an interruption in, in this omnipresent invisible energy field that once someone can tap into it, they can like have access to unlimited energy and it's everywhere. And uh, throughout this book, they talk about, I was able to, I read the book and I'm like, okay, they're talking about uh, dark matter in certain parts. They're talking about there's parts of the universe that like stars that will die They'll collapse upon themselves and it will be basically this invisible world, but still there and it still affects the gravitation of everything around it. Uh, Another thing they talked about is uh, the cosmic web. They say that all planets are interconnected by an invisible uh, energy force, kind of like a stream of energy that connects kind of like everything, every planetary body in the universe. And what's fascinating about that is uh, pretty recently, uh, NASA has kind of announced that they have discovered what they term a cosmic web. They've discovered like an energy current that goes directly from the sun right to Antarctica and out throughout the universe. It connects kind of everything. So uh, yeah, there's a lot in this book and a lot of it is talking about very advanced scientific knowledge that uh, should not really have been possible for them to write in the 1800s. And uh, whether or not you want to believe that the, it's a fully accurate thing about going into hollow earth, it's kind of undeniable that they had access to some, this guy had access to some kind of a science. And if you believe what he's saying, like he took this directly from uh, the most advanced knowledge of the Freemasons or some other hermetic secret society, which is what they call it. So, uh, yeah, that's a rat hole, other rabbit hole I wasn't really planning to get into, but uh, I think it's fascinating. I think it's weird. Uh, and I highly recommend you guys uh, read Etadorpa. It's uh, you can read it online now because because it's a classic, you know, it's a uh, free. So, uh, yeah, it's weird. 
So that's been kind of digging into a lot of stuff that I've been diving into lately. I mean, just another connection too is Tesla with the whole being able to connect in and get constant free energy. And uh, I don't know, I've been kind of coming to this realization about how, you know, we've essentially been wiped out and restarted multiple times to the point where we've forgotten everything that we've learned in the past. And honestly, all of these occult groups, the Freemasons, all of that, I don't think that they're necessarily like harboring any type of magic, but rather just knowledge of basically history up to this point because realistically like magic is just science it's just a magic a matter of understanding it because alchemy turned into chemistry and one of the newest things that i've been kind of digging into is this whole concept of that you know they think that the occult has like magic and then they can do magic but they can't really they're not really doing magic they just have a really in-depth understanding of psychology and in turn they're able to break somebody down to turn them into somebody who can do whatever the hell that they want them to do so it's like it's just a matter of taking all of these things that we obviously knew at one point and then putting an actual science to it and stop referring to it as, as magic, because we obviously like we've been here before. That's why all of these different ancient civilizations were able to map out stars. That's why they're aware of knowledge like this. Like it's, it all comes built their structures. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not magic. It's, it's all a science. It's just rediscovering a science, uh, from, you know, us in the past after we've been restarted multiple times and somehow there's just been like a group of people who have maintained everything. And I think that, you know, they're not holding anything. I mean, they're holding everything, but nothing all at once in the aspect of like, everybody thinks that they have some kind of crazy thing where they can control the world. They have, you know, they can manipulate the, or, you know, they they think it's something that's super woo woo, but it's not woo woo at all to begin with. It's just a matter of knowledge, Mm -hmm. psych, um, psychology and alchemy, which, you know, again, turns into chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's what's going on with, uh, like for example, the Freemasons, like what is their secret of secrets? Uh, I think it's exactly that. It's something to do with, this ancient, ancient knowledge, because uh, you you think that they these mystery mystery schools, these secret societies, supposedly get their knowledge from ancient Egypt or farther back. Which where did ancient Egypt get it from? Like they didn't invent everything either. So uh, yeah, I think it's something to do with this whole concept of uh, some kind of lost knowledge that is extremely important and fundamental, but I wouldn't call it a technology. I would call it more like a, I don't know, like I think it's more about um, energy, vibration, and resonance and an understanding of how to use and manipulate these forces that our current like technology and society like does not seem to get or like we're, we're just beginning to maybe. But, uh, yeah, I think that's probably what's going on with a lot of these uh, secret societies. It's, uh, they have access to this occulted knowledge. And, uh, yeah, it's very important. But uh, today, we, we're just barely understanding it. And, uh, yeah, the whole zero-point uh, energy, free energy thing, you brought up magic. And if someone were to have, like, a device let's say like something you could put in your hand that could tap into a zero point energy that would look like magic to you. You could just hold out your hand, boom, make a fireball shoot out of your hand, boom, make something appear that didn't appear to be there. And yeah, that's one of uh, my favorite analogies is that 
any kind of a technology that is sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. It's all it's all just some kind of science technology that we cannot understand. Honestly though, that's 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 the best way to break it down cuz it's 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 honestly just having the ability to be able to map everything since the beginning of time and I think that's that's truly what they what they possess is just because even from that, going into the other side of like magic, as I was saying, that it's able to manipulate, like they're able to control an entire group of people. They're essentially in, able to control the entire world off of them not actually understanding or knowing the history of them themselves. Because once you have an understanding of all these occult principles, everybody thinks that you're going to get the answer to magic. But realistically, it might exactly p- disprove all magic that it isn't a magic again, that it's just knowledge and a science. And just misunderstanding of what things were in the past, like such as like what you were saying with uh, being able to convert energy thing. You know, you hear about these like stories about these like ancient wizards that were like shooting fire out of their hand, shooting electricity out of their hand. It could be a matter of just uh, having some type of device that is able to manipulate the energy into whatever you deem to turn it into. There could be like a little dial and connecting back into these like advanced civilizations. You know, if there was an advanced civilization, uh, a group of people were able to like section themselves off or they still had all of this knowledge, still had all of this stuff. Then from there, everybody else that's just turned primitive, they're just trying to survive. You know, they're hunting animals, doing all this. They can go right in front of them and go, you know, essentially like uh, Ash from Evil De- from Army of Darkness with the, this is my boomstick, boom. They all think it's magic, but realistically he just has a remnant of the last civilization. And I mean, even that being said too, I mean, if there's just like little random pieces of like ancient civilization that were left over. And of course, you know, when you're talking about these ancient stories about people coming and teaching people how to be civilized, like this was closer to the date that these cataclysms happen. It could have been something just as simple as maybe the right person stumbled into a cave, uh, figured out how this weird device worked. And then they just went in front of a group of people and were able to control the entire group of people off of having, again, a remnant of the last civilization. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, that's really what it all comes down to. And, uh, yeah, dude, there's just so much, uh, for example, uh, to go back to this book, Etadorfa that blew my mind. <laughs> like, uh, it goes into like all this kind of like occulty esoteric type topics. It's not all like sciencey, but, uh, I think uh, a couple of my favorite things I read in there is there's this one part where he's talking about how to, how to communicate with aliens. And this is kind of like a time in history when aliens and like UFOs wasn't a thing, but, uh, but the, they say in there, the way that we should be communicating with an extraterrestrial civilization is through gravity, through manipulation of gravity. He says, why? Because think about uh, the forces in the universe that are omnipresent. You have light, sound, uh, and gravity is a big one. Like No matter where you go in the universe, there's gravity, and you're going to be affected by gravity. So if you want to really send out like a signal into like the deepest reaches of outer space... Like, forget about using a radio or anything like that. You want to create some kind of artificial gravity like signal, something that like anyone will be able to detect anywhere in the universe, basically. So, uh, 
I found that very interesting. I don't know why more people nowadays don't uh, try and look into that. I think it is a great idea. I mean, that connects into and, uh, something else I've been digging into lately, too. Um, I had Chaz of the Dead recently on the show talking about it, but I've had a few people yes, kind of hinting <laughs> around it. Chaz that is awesome. The whole, the whole uh, cosmic plasma, plasma concept that, you know, essentially like a fish doesn't realize that a fish is in water because it's always spent its entire life in water. So we could be in some type of other state and not actually realize that it's fully around us. And it's just a matter of knowing how to manipulate this. And this is where it comes into like the whole ideas of how like Coral Castle could have been built, the pyramids could have been built, all of this stuff is that it connects back into kind of what we were talking about earlier in the show with vibrations. And if you're able to make something vibrate where it's essentially able to float on this cosmic plasma, then you can essentially make it so it's almost like pushing something on water. And then connecting into what you were saying with the whole signals with gravity thing, if our air, whatever you want to call it, the the thing that surrounds us is actually more of like a cosmic plasma, then it would almost be Mm -hmm. like a ripple in water trying to put out a signal rather than putting something that's resisting that you're going to have resistance. You know, you're going to do something where like, almost like you throw a stone into water and the ripple is going to spread all the way across. It may stretch out, but that ripple is going to make it all the way across the surface of that water. So it could be exactly the same concept. What you were saying with gravity and this cosmic plasma that you cause a ripple in it. And then it'll just continuously keep going almost like making a ripple in water continuously. Yeah, no, that that's, uh, that's a good point. Like I think, yeah, that's something people need to start thinking about. They need to start thinking about zero-point energy, and that's really like what connects the whole universe. That's the key to like everything, basically. That's why Tesla uh, got shut down when he did is because I feel like they all knew what he was doing, and the reason why he got so shunned and pushed down was because they he was digging into these occult principles that they already knew existed, and they were like, no, 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 no. Society doesn't get this yet. We're still using this on our stuff. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, zero point energy. It's uh, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, the book also uh, yeah it gives an example of the theory of relativity. It basically is uh, talking about that. It's saying like, imagine a bullet, E equals m c squared. As we know, energy is matter at the speed of light squared. So they say in this book, they say, imagine, like they give the example of bullet. Imagine it's moving a thousand miles an hour and just starts at this point, goes to this point, and then repeats. As soon as it ends, it comes back. And they say, put your hand in the stream of this bullet a thousand miles an hour. Your hand will be blown off. It'll be blown apart. He says, uh, increase the speed to 10,000 miles an hour. The same bullet is just traveling much faster, repeating itself, going, 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 going. Put your hand in it. What will happen? Your hand won't be blown apart. Your hand will just have a hole in it appear exactly the size of the bullet. It'll kind of like be melted in there because it's going so fast. And then he says... um, increase the speed of the same bullet so much faster. You won't even see it anymore. Increase it a million times faster. It will stop being a bullet. It will stop existing. It will literally disappear. It won't be visible. Then put your hand in its stream 
there will be nothing. Why? Because it has been converted back into like the state of energy, which it was to begin with. And that's essentially, if you think about the theory of relativity, that's exactly what it's saying. It's saying that matter moving at the speed of light or faster becomes like energy. It's gone. It's not even there. But then you can, if you slow the same bullet down, it can appear again. It can just materialize, which uh, seems kind of like magic, but... If you think about like that same energy is everywhere. It's all in the universe. Uh, Yeah. It's something that people don't really consider. Like people say matter can neither be created nor destroyed. Well, that's not entirely true because according to the theory of relative relativity, relativity matter is everywhere. It's energy. It's all around us. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, even connecting into like the whole like UFO concept too, um, that could be potentially how all of that stuff works, where it's combining this idea of like the cosmic plasma that you create a vibration that makes it so that it's able to just basically like hover and sit on top of this cosmic plasma. And yeah. from there, then there's no resistance on it. You can pretty much just bounce the ship back and forth between your hand, whatever, and it's not going to have any type of resistance to it. So at that point, you're able to make it go at such intense speeds without it actually having any type of like push back onto it that you're able to essentially make it convert into a different type of energy, kind of like how you were describing this bullet. And that also being said could be the same way that some of the signal could work where when we're trying to push out a signal, again, there's a resistance that's coming back towards it. But when you enter in this cosmic plasma concept that it actually becomes lighter than the, than the matter existing around it, then Essentially, it can yeah. just vibrate at a at a certain point where it's able to just like pretty much cut right through this stuff because it has no yeah, resistance dude. going against it, and then you it's then your signal never gets stopped. It can just continuously keep going. It can go straight through things. Yeah, the, the other other thing to think about is uh, if you think about astral projection, or if you listen to what they say about that, they say. Before you project or have an alibi experience, you enter this vibrational state. And basically what it is, is once the vibrational, your consciousness speeds up fast enough, it projects and goes into this other plane of reality. So think about uh, UFOs. Maybe it has something to do with that. And they just vibrate so incredibly fast that they phase out of this plane of reality into the next dimension where the laws of physics, space, time don't really matter. You can go anywhere in an instant, basically, because you're in a non-physical state. Then they kind of phase back into reality. And that kind of, to me, explains a lot. Uh, It's kind of my personal theory about it, but... (laughs) It kind of would explain how UFOs can travel the universe. It could explain how they can appear and disappear. It would explain a lot, I think. I mean, Does that make any sense to me, to you? Yeah, definitely. I get really, really deep into these theories. This is like, I do this more often than not on the show. So, I mean, I've just, okay. I've been expanding on stuff that I've been thinking about all day. And now it's coming in full, full, full synchronicity, you know, that ironically I'm having this conversation with you and you're expanding this stuff that I've been tossed around in my head all day. Like this, this has been great. <laughs> yes. UFOs. I think they're multidimensional. I, I, I'm pretty sure like, uh, cause I've heard, uh, some 
stories or uh, some podcasts or whatever about uh, people who are astral projecting to UFOs, and that's what they do. Like, there's there's a couple guys specifically. I don't remember their names, but uh, that's their like whole thing. They uh, have an out of body experience, and then they go and visit like these UFO craft and talk to the aliens. I mean, that- and uh, the aliens are always there and like talkative in the other dimension. So I find that very interesting. That kind of connects partly into another theory that I've been talking about lately where, you know, you'll see these anomalies where there'll be a solid UFO and then it will split into two, but those will be a little bit more transparent. And when it comes down to the ability to manipulate particles on a microscopic level, uh, my theory on it is that rather than it being two UFOs, they're actually splitting the particles so that the particles are less dense, but they're able to project themselves into two different areas. And in turn... I mean, there could be an innate ability that humans have with this also, or maybe it's an ability that everything has where you're actually able to split particles on a microscopic level without necessarily realizing it. And the people that are astral projecting, it's not so much that their their consciousness is necessarily leaving their body or anything like that, but more so that they're almost like displacing their particles to be in two different places at once. And when it comes to consciousness in particular, uh, it doesn't seem to be a physical thing. It's more of an energy, kind of like everything that we've been talking about. So like visually looking at it, you could be splitting your energy particles into two different locations, but it wouldn't be the same as a UFO in the aspect of if you're splitting something that's already pure energy, you're not going to be able to visibly see the energy being split, where if you had a more advanced understanding of this technology, then maybe you could start splitting like physical solid things. And that's where you get this anomaly that comes in with UFOs. Um, you know, it could all be interconnected in a different ways that it's just a matter of making the particles less dense and splitting them into two different things. But the difference between it is that, you know, we're seeing it with UFOs and we don't understand it because they're doing it with physical things, but we could in turn be doing it ourselves with an energy essentially that, that we all possess inside of us. Yeah, dude. Uh, uh, there's this uh, book I have, it's called, Astral Dynamics by Robert Bruce. It's like considered the classic book on uh, astral projection. Uh, It came out like a long time ago, but uh, in this book, uh, he explains like how to do all this stuff, how to exit your body. And he explains like his theory is the moment that you leave your body your consciousness splits. It's actually, uh, he calls it the projected double. He says that you will go out in your astral body and like go fly around and have fun. But at the same time, right when that happens, you will be lying in bed and then boom, nothing. You'll be like, what happened? I was supposed to, I was supposed to project nothing. And he says, in that moment, you have to just be patient, just relax, just wait. And at that point in time, your consciousness is doubled. It's in your body and it's outside of your body, but it's not aware of both at the same time. And he says, when <laughs> it sounds crazy, but this is, I'm not making this up. This is what the book says. When your uh, other self comes back to your body, the memories of being out there is what you will like download into yourself as soon as that happens, as soon as uh, your astral self returns and you will have no memory of just waiting for it. It will just uh, instantly happen and 
you'll be mind wiped and you'll think it was all one continuous experience when in reality uh, your consciousness, I don't know if it doubled or if it was just in two places at once, but uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Well, that connects into uh, something else I've been talking about too, where if you are able to split this, and this is even referring to like UFOs and stuff too, and that's kind of originally where I dug into it. I feel like there's one specific one where you have like your focal point because you can you can split yourself, but the way that you operate or at least the way that our brains are physically able to operate currently, we're not able to control two different like vessels at once. But I mean, they're being said with these advanced beings, um, aliens, whatever you want to call them, you know, they could be more advanced in the aspect of knowing how to basically split their consciousness into two places. And when they do that, it kind of makes them so that they're almost more robotic because they're not really in either place at once. And that could explain why some of these like UFO experiences are very like textbook, like robotic feeling versus like people who are just now starting to scratch the surface and start to understand this type of stuff. You know, we're only able to put our focal point into one projected spot. But that being said in the future, you know, there could be a point where, you know, we're able to basically manifest our consciousness as our brains evolve into two different places at once and be able to operate in those two different places at once. And maybe it's like a growth thing where eventually the beings that are able to already do this will get to a point where they can be more present in both places at once. But like our first step would be almost right. like where they are, where it's almost like robotic because your like consciousness is and you are the more uh, awareness you can gain of being at different places. Like, yeah, if you think about it, if you believe that consciousness is non-physical, it does not originate in the brain. It's more like a energy dimensional thing that our brain is just like downloading it into our brain. Our brain is not generating it. That means that consciousness is non-physical and also non-local. And so if you think it's non-local, like it doesn't have to be at one place. Like it's, it's energy. Like, well, why does it have to be at any specific point in space? It's not even a part of physical space. So yeah, it totally does make sense that uh, theoretically some kind of advanced beings could project their consciousness in multiple locations at the same time. Uh, Yeah, that's a weird thing to think about, but really cool. I haven't actually really thought about that until right now. Well, that's a good thing then, because I like making my guests think. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's crazy, yeah. So uh, obviously we went off on an awesome side tangent for a while and I absolutely (laughs) love doing these side tangents because I get really deep into my theories and a lot of my uh, listeners really enjoy this type of stuff when we start really getting into theories. So I think they're really going to enjoy the episode so far. But of course, for the second half, the original idea, of course, is that we wanted to be able to get into some of your books and talk about them. And uh, we talked about your second book just a little bit because you didn't want to give away too much yet. But uh, I definitely want to dive into your first book that's already out so that if there is anybody who's been interested in this conversation, uh, you know, they have some work that they can go to and go and check out themselves. Uh, Yeah, dude. Uh, So my first book, it's uh, The Lands... Er, Sorry. It's... uh, I have it right here. The Last Dinosaur of the Lost World, My Search for Little Nessie. And uh, yeah, that's my first book, self-published. And uh, so yeah, this book is about the lost world and literally what they named the book, the movie after Arthur Conan Doyle was inspired to write the book by this exact place 
this is where Angel Falls is located. It's the highest waterfall in the world. And it's actually a uh, giant, like 20 plus square mile plateau out in the middle of the jungle in Venezuela, the middle of absolutely nowhere. It's incredible. It's uh, it's one of the natural wonders of the world, I believe. And uh, so, yeah, uh, this uh, location, it's also, if you've seen the Disney movie Up, that's exactly what they modeled it after. And uh, so my book is about a very... Uh, unknown cryptid that is supposedly living out there that has been sighted by uh, a bunch of people who I, uh, what I did for this book is I interviewed as many eyewitnesses as I could find. And I tracked down all the historical information of people who have been there and seen this thing. And uh, supposedly it resembles kind of like a little Loch Ness monster type creature, but it's only about three feet long. Like a mini plesiosaur? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's uh, It lives along the rivers. It's kind of like semi-aquatic. People have seen it along the rivers, like basking in the sun, and then it will jump in the water. And uh, so, yeah, the story, like how I even found out about this thing is uh, it was uh, the year 2007. And uh, I was like, I guess I was researching dinosaurs, trying to find living dinosaurs on Google because I was a nerd. So, yeah, I I found this one post on uh, the Google Earth message board. And uh, it was the post. It's the whole message board. Message board doesn't exist anymore. It was written by this guy who says he's an archaeologist and and an explorer. His name was Jose Miguel Perez Gomez. And he tells this amazing story. And he says, I'm an explorer. I've been exploring this area around Angel Falls for about 10 years now. I've gone. You have to go on a real expedition to get there. You have to fly out in a plane or you have to go down river for about almost a week to even get to the base and then you have to like climb with mountain climbing gear or most people take a helicopter because, uh, yeah, that's a lot safer. And uh, so, yeah, he's like, I've been exploring this area. And during my travels near the base of the mountain, I met this hermit. And uh, over the years, I kind of like befriended him. And it, well, he lived in a hut on the river and I would always come and talk to him. And one day he told me a really cool story about some weird animals he had seen on the peak of this uh, plateau. And uh, he says they were weird. They had like these long necks and flippers. And so Jose Miguel is kind of intrigued by this. And he says, okay, can you tell me any more? And the guy says, the hermit says, I've actually drawn pictures of them. And uh, yeah, I have the pictures, the, Hermit Drew in my book. Uh, I can't find them right now, but they're in there. Um, And it, and Jose Miguel Prey Gomez is kind of shocked because the flippers look like a plesiosaur. It looks like this extinct marine reptile. 
And so he says to himself, okay, you've told me where you saw it up there. You told me everything. So I want to go look for this thing myself and see whether it's real. And uh, yeah, this area is almost completely unexplored, uninhabited, obviously. So uh, he goes up on a couple of his next expeditions. He finds this really cool spot. It's by this big, I want to say a small lake, big pond. And he's like, okay, I'm just going to like set up camp here. And so he sets up camp by the pond and he waits for days. And uh, on the last day, he finally sees something weird. He sees this shape moving in the water and it gets out of the water. And just for probably a couple seconds, it comes out on the shore and it's, it's this thing that shouldn't exist. It's a thing with long neck and flippers, exactly like the hermit drew and described. And he tries to get a picture, but it's split second and it's gone. It jumps back in. And so uh, he sees this thing. He's amazed. And he has to go back to the extract point where his chopper picked him up. So he goes back. He, uh, takes another picture as he's leaving and he actually gets a picture of something weird sticking out of the water that looks like the neck and the head. I have it in my book. And uh, so anyway, that's his story. He posts this all on the message board and he says, Oh, by the way, there's a couple other people who've seen it. There's a pilot and there's a professor from my country who've seen this thing too. And that was that. He posted on the message board and I read it. I thought it was crazy. I thought it was really cool. But I didn't really know if I should believe it or not at that point. And so it wasn't, I guess, until uh, about five years ago that I started looking into it again. I found the author, Jose Miguel Pregum, as I contacted him and I asked him, you know, was this true? Was this bullshit? Like what? what exactly was going on here. And he assured to me it was all very real. It was all true. He hasn't been able to go back because of uh, the political crisis in Venezuela. But uh, he told me the names of the other people who have seen the creature. And so, uh, yeah, my book, I kind of like dug into his background. I learned Jose Miguel is a university trained and published archaeologist. He's written loads of scientific papers. He's found shipwrecks. He's excavated uh, 15th century Spanish forts. He's not the type of person who would make up a story, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, I was able to find some other witnesses. Uh, the pilot, who was a very credible person as well. The university professor. So, uh, yeah, that's what my book is about. And if you guys want to check it out, it's uh, very detailed and uh, it goes into the whole case. And uh, no one really knows about this thing, which is weird. So that's why I want to write a book about it. Uh, I felt like the world had to know the story because it's really cool. Well, I guess two things. One, 
my theory on it is that potentially it could link in with the whole like Nessie idea that there are some remnants still of these creatures. Maybe they have really, really long lifespans and that they're not necessarily reproducing, but what's left of them is what's left and they're starting to go extinct where maybe when they saw this smaller one, it was a younger one. That's why it was more active. And then when you get into the one that, you know, might exist in like in the Loch Ness, um, then it could be an older one that doesn't come out of the water as much. Maybe when you hear all these old stories about like the Loch Ness monster, for example, they used to come out of the water more often. It used to grab people's sheep. Maybe that's when it was a little bit younger of a creature, but now it just stays in the water or maybe that one's dead in particular. And this one's still alive. Um, but that's at least kind yeah. of like my theory and thought on it. And then just an extra little side part for anybody that wants to find the book, uh, where can they come and find it at? Uh, just go to Amazon and type in, the last dinosaur of the lost world and it should pop up right away. But interestingly enough, like these plesiosaur creatures were supposed to be uh ocean saltwater creatures, but I think it was uh, just last year they made a discovery in Africa. They found a fossil of one of these things in a fresh water river system, which was a uh, huge news to the, uh, paleological community uh yeah it's the first time they've ever found one that was living in fresh water so uh there you go and believe it or not the miniature versions like uh all these people have seen in venezuela that's a real animal too there was a variety of a plesiosaur called a leptocleidus which only grew about three feet long. And supposedly they kind of like hung out near these freshwater river systems. So yeah, my theory is uh, they just survived the extinction, the mass extinctions. They kind of evolved to live in rivers and uh, they've been there. Yeah. They've been there for a long time. Say so they uh, might have specific even- spots that they stay or two, um, maybe they just stay in deeper areas as far as like being farther in the jungle, whatever, so that they don't really have much interaction with people because, you know, assumably if people have seen these things, they would yes. kill them. <laughs> yes. Uh, the geology all kind of like checks out too, because the, these giant plateaus, there's a ton of them. They're called tepoys and they're everywhere in Venezuela. And they're all extremely, extremely ancient. Like they all, they actually all used to be ocean. And then about a uh, hundred million years ago, the ocean kind of like receded. And uh, this area, geologically speaking, has been there ever since, like kind of unchanged. And uh, so, yeah, it all kind of makes sense how this could actually happen to me. I think it's uh, plausible. And yeah, like you said, it's very, very isolated. No one really lives there. No one goes there. It's the middle of the jungle. So yeah, who knows, man? Who knows what else is out there? So uh, I guess this is probably a good spot to start kind of wrapping it up. And obviously just from the the gear of this conversation, I could definitely have you back out in the future and we can get really in depth into some different theories and stuff and hopefully even get more in depth yeah, into your second book. We didn't even get to touch on the paranormal. So if you want to do a part two, we can talk about paranormal sometime. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. Um, so yeah. at least, uh, I like to try to leave everything on a high note. Not that this has really been like a dark episode or anything like that, but, uh, what's some like words of wisdom that you'd like to bestow on the listeners? Oh man. Words of wisdom. 
All right. Uh, okay. I think I heard a pretty good one the other day, which I stole from uh, the Haunted Objects podcast, the Hellier crew. Their whole motto is uh, choose curiosity over fear. And they say, uh, if you think about something that's supposed to be like scary or bad, it's not necessarily that. And you should go out and look at it and investigate for yourself. Specifically when it comes to like the paranormal, there's a lot of uh, fear mongering that goes on and a lot of misunderstanding that happens. So uh, yeah, that's a good, good kind of like motto to live by. Honestly, yeah. Curiosity over fear. I definitely agree with that one as far as, you know, when you don't understand something, uh, your instant reaction is to fear it instead. So again, like you were saying, it's just a matter of not having enough information or misunderstanding something and in turn, you now fear it. (laughs) Yes, that's a big problem. Like you can apply it to almost anything, but when you apply it to the unknown, the paranormal, it's especially relevant to all of us who look into this stuff. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, people who want to fear monger in our community. You know, they want to say like that aliens are, you know, abducting people and want to kill us. Or they want to say like paranormal encounters are demons or that type of thing. And I, I think, uh, you know, people should uh, not believe that kind of thing and try and keep an open mind and, try to consider other possibilities when it comes to this kind of stuff. Honestly. Yeah. When you try to put a label on things that you don't understand in the first place, it instantly instills fear into it because these are concepts that are above, you know, our current level of understanding. So (laughs) that being said though, I do think there's probably some kind of gray aliens probably out there that are abducting people. And there are probably like, uh, uh, I guess you could say demons. I don't, really like to use that word but negative paranormal entities out there that are evil or want bad things but that doesn't mean that's the only things out there you know Mm -hmm. i think when it comes to ufos there's lots of stuff going on that probably we don't even really understand most of it like a lot of these orbs i feel like are complete completely interdimensional not even technology. They're not here to hurt anyone. They're probably here with good intentions. And uh, yeah, a lot of these uh, YouTubers out there caption every paranormal ghost hunt as my encounter with a demon. Like, I I don't like that at all. Uh, For one, you're assuming for two, like we don't really know what we're dealing with in the first place. So, uh, Yeah, choose curiosity over fear, you guys. (laughs) And uh, words of wisdom that I stole, but still very true. Awesome words of wisdom that do fit the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, for anybody that wants to come and find you, find your work, anything like that, uh, where can they come and find you at? Oh, probably Instagram. Like that's where I probably would post everything that's going on. Just uh. Anomaly Hunter X is my handle. 
I uh, appreciate you making the time to come on today, man. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the next conversation we have diving into the paranormal because I know that there's going to be a lot of awesome theories that are going to bounce back and forth between the two of us as far as uh, get us oh, getting yes. into that topic. We will have to do it. Yeah, definitely, man. If you guys enjoyed the show, don't forget to uh, share it by word of mouth with a friend. And if you haven't already, don't forget to take an extra five seconds to leave a rating for the show on Spotify or an extra 30 seconds to leave a review for the show on iTunes. And of course, I will give you guys a shout out and read it aloud on the show. And uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, you guys can email me at inquiriesallrealitypodcast at outlook.com or you can shoot me a message over on the Inquiries of All Reality Podcast Instagram. Or you can go to the link tree, fill out the submission form, and that will go directly to my email. And as I said in the beginning of the show, make sure you check your spam and junk folders. Make sure that none of my replies get lost because I do respond to every single one of you guys that takes the time to shoot me a message or send me an email. Everything that I mentioned, all available under the link tree, which is L-A-N-K-T-R period E-E slash inquiries of our reality podcast, or it's available down in the show description. And with that, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 